Hi, everyone. Today's guest spends her days working with attorneys, public policy experts, research analysts, and advocacy professionals. That's a wide variety of team members. Uh, she, throughout her entire career, has played a really key role in helping enact legislation to benefit animals. She spent some time as the Director of Wildlife Protection at the Humane Society of the United States, and she also worked for AARP. And I am really pleased to welcome Elise Traub. She's the Senior Director of Legislation and Advocacy for Best Friends Animal Society. Elise, welcome. We're so happy to hear from you today. How are you? Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be able to have this conversation with you. I'm good. I, to be honest, I'm tired. I think a lot of us are tired right now. Um, oh, yes. And I can't even, you know, I think of my colleagues on the front lines who are working in shelters, and I know they're dealing with it a lot more um, intensely than I am, but this has um, presented a lot of new challenges, but also opportunities and a lot of work and conversations. And it's felt like a real sprint over the last few weeks. And I think like a lot of people who are in our field and even in other fields do, we're tired, but I'm also feeling really optimistic um, about the collaboration, about the opportunities, about you know rethinking sheltering and the whole, you know, the new ideas that are coming out of this and what's possible on the horizon. I am curious, how are you helping your team? How, how are you keeping your team motivated and positive through this? Yeah, I think my team, I'm really lucky. I have a very um, resilient team that's really rising to the occasion. Um, I have team members that have been personally affected by this, and I think it would be you know, we could say we've all been personally affected by this and each and every one of them has really been rising to the occasion. And I think, you know, we all have our moments where we're struggling and the stress of this gets to be a lot and, you know, knowing um, other people and what they've gone through, that puts a lot on people. But the, I think what my team is feeding off of right now and where, um, how they've been able to really perform and switch gears is um, the opportunity that this is presented. So to give you an example, um, one of the teams that I manage at Best Friends is our grassroots advocacy work. And grassroots advocacy work is all about connecting with people mm -hmm. in person, getting off from behind your computer and going out to crowded public places with a clipboard and a petition sheet and um, knocking on doors and meeting people face-to-face -face and talking to them about um, how to support their shelter, how to help cats and dogs in their community. That's what we do, or that's what we did until a month ago. Um, and then all of a sudden this happened and we started getting questions from our volunteers. It should be out in public. And we started thinking about it. And then the shelter in place orders come, came and pretty soon all of the tactics that we've been using to engage communities and work to build this movement to save cats and dogs um, all of our tactics we just couldn't do anymore. So my team has really risen to the occasion and was very, very quickly able to pivot um, and both think about virtual ways, like the same ways we're all using the Zoom calls, um, digital channels, social media to connect with our advocates. And, you know, before what we were focused on were the things, you know, like legalizing DNR and ending breed discriminatory legislation and stopping the retail sale of puppies and 
government bodies are not thinking about those things right now. So we really had to pivot. But talk to me a little bit about what, what that transition has been like and, and what you guys have learned from it. So we actually at Best Friends have a, um, what we call our grassroots advocacy group is the 2025 action team. And again, they, they, their focus when they were first, when we first built the team and the movement um, was focused on saving cats and dogs in communities. Um, and they've really shifted their focus to connecting on a neighbor to neighbor level because we are all in this together. It's not like a hurricane where, you know, it's one part of the country and we can send in a bunch of volunteers from another part of the country. We're all dealing with this. And so we really have to look to our even more micro level. We used to focus our grassroots work on the community level, and now we're focusing it on the neighborhood level. So what we've asked our action team to do is to print out these kindness cards, drop them off, and it just, you put your contact information. It's like a contactless way of introducing yourself to your neighbors. And a lot of us don't know our neighbors anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, live right next door to people so we don't know their names, we don't know anything about them. And so this is, you know, one of the things that's challenging in doing grassroots work is people get shy, they don't like to walk up to strangers and introduce themselves. And the kindness cards almost make it easier because you don't have to talk to them, you just put your contact information. And we use the kindness cards as a way to build your neighborhood pod. So you introduce yourself to your neighbors, you find the people who want to help, and you find the people who need help. So we've gotten so much feedback from our um, action team members about you know, one story where someone put the kindness cards out on all the um, their neighbors' little free libraries, um, and someone was looking for books, and she found one of the kindness cards, and her husband had lost his job, and they had cat, and so they contacted the name on the kindness card, and um, the person who's, she's an action team member, but she also happens to be one of our staff members too, she put a call out to her, to her neighbors on next door. She told them that she needed, um, you know, that this family needed help with groceries and with pet food. And through that process, she found someone else in her neighborhood who was running a pet food bank out of her garage um, and was help on a neighborhood level that she didn't even know about. So it's those kinds of things. And we're getting stories like that all over the place. And I think those kinds of things are real bright spots in a tough time. But I think they also teach us something bigger about trusting our community and relying on the community and um, leveraging that there's people everywhere, even if they're not people who have ever set foot in our shelter doors or have never adopted a pet, maybe they bought their pet from a pet store. They're not people that have had contact with us, but they're people who care about dogs and cats that we can lean on and who want to help. We just have to find the way to engage them. So we, have a um, best friends we have a team of legislative attorneys they focus on legislation that helps dogs and cats usually in normal times um, our policy areas are focused on life-saving measures like ensuring TNR can happen um, you know preventing breed discriminatory legislation those kinds of issues supporting shelters in different ways and um, when we first when the COVID crisis first hit we had heard that some communities in California were issuing what they were calling shelter in place orders. Um, and there were, you know, basically asked, saying that everything needed to close except for what's deemed an essential business. And at that point, you know, it was just in a, in a few small communities, but as we all know now, virtually every state and every community in the country with a few exceptions is under some kind of safer at home shelter in place order. So right when that first started, 
we wrote a letter that we sent to every governor in the country. And um, as part of relationships that we had built um, through our other legislative work or contract lobbyists that we have um, as part of our team, we reached out to um, municipalities and governor's offices to explain to them that animal shelters needed to be considered essential. And um, you know, I don't think every part of the country is perfect in this, but almost across the board, we've seen that when governors are issuing these, when um, states are issuing, um, or excuse me, when municipalities are issuing them, that people have said that animal control officers, veterinary services, animal shelters are essential. Um, and there's been a lot of other groups, um, national and local, that have advocated for that. And um, so that getting animal um, shelter and associated work being designated as essential, I think is really important. And I think that's something we can leverage going forward. Um, we know that we're starting to see um, some economic challenges come out of this. And I know a lot of shelters are thinking about their budgets and what that's gonna look like. And I think that's gonna be a really important area for us to band together as an industry and really tell the story to our elected officials about the work we do and its importance and why it should be funded. And I think being designated as an essential is an important first step in that. Um, what does the future look like to you, Elise? Well, I'll tell you what I hope it looks like. Um, I think we've seen communities stand up in a really big way. And um, in the response to COVID, we know in most parts of the country, um, shelters have seen unprecedented numbers of people who are raising their hands and signing up to foster. And we do know that a big piece of that is um, that people are home right now and they have the time. And I know there's some fear about what's gonna happen when those people go back to work. Are we gonna lose um, them as fosters? But I think that, and I hope that there's gonna be a large piece of that that's retained. I think there's parts of the community that never knew their local shelter that weren't engaged um, and are now aware of that and they fostered once and I think they will continue to be fosters. And I think there's going to be, I mean, animal shelters are always going to have a really important role, but I think that the future of sheltering may be happening more in the community and relying on community members to foster, to even, you know, when they take in dogs to do return to owner um, in their own communities. Some of those things where um, animals traditionally went immediately to the shelter and um, a lot of those being solved right on the, in the community level. And I think animal shelter professionals are always going to be a really important part of that, but I think they're going to be able to call in their community for more help. And I, I hope that's the case because we know that um, we can't do it all alone. We know that in a lot of shelters there's challenges and um, there's a lot of people in the community who love cats and dogs and want to help. And I think we can get better at engaging them and bringing them into the mission um, and hopefully um, making sheltering even better going forward. I like it. I like the future that you're painting. <laughs> you hope, right? Absolutely. I am. You know, good things um, often come from tragedy, and I, I hope that we're able to, you know, navigate life post-COVID in a different way than we were before. Is there anything else you think is important to share? I have such admiration for the people who are on the front lines of this, the people who are working in shelters day in and day out, putting their own health at risk, their own family's health at risk. So those are the people that we should really be applauding right now. Um, and I wanted to give a shout out to my team at, um, at Best Friends too, that's been working so hard, our grassroots team, our legislative team, 
really stood up um, to try to stand up for shelters and support them in this time and um, you know, make changes for animals that we hope will um, be more long lasting, engage our communities. So it's, um, it's been a really tough time, but I think there's a lot of promise for the future and I'm looking forward to being part of it. All right, well, Elise, thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. So um, looking forward to continuing our conversations. Have a great rest of your day and stay healthy and stay safe. Likewise, same to you. Stay healthy and stay safe. And thanks so much for the opportunity to talk to you about this. It's been a great conversation and um, I'm glad we had the chance to chat.